as always here at Impact, I want to invite you to get out a Bible with me and turn it to the book of Revelation. We've been covering Revelation, in case you're new with us, since the beginning of the school year, and uh, we're going to continue that today. <clears throat> but as Nathan alluded to uh, at, at our beginning here, we did miss a week uh, due to the snow and ice last week, and uh, we actually planned when we did the sermon series to preach on January 3rd. We missed that one as well, so uh, we're quite a bit behind in Revelation, to, so today we're going to really hit the fast forward button and uh, try, to, try to get through two chapters here chapters 9 and chapters 10 in Revelation, okay? Uh, so to intro this, this message, I just want to make an observation, right? And that observation is that, you know, sometimes in life, there's more to what we can see than what we actually see, right? There, there's more to what we can see with our eyes than what may, what may actually be going on with that thing we are seeing. So just to give you an example, I'm going to put a picture on the screen, <clears throat> Some of you will recognize this immediately. Now, this picture is of a dress, right? And back in 2015, it was my senior year of high school, this dress became an internet sensation. And if you've never seen this before, you might be saying, why would this dress become an internet sensation? Well, let me tell you why. Because right about now, about half of you in this room are looking at this picture, and you're seeing a dress that is blue and black. Raise your hand if you see a blue and a black dress. While the other half of you in this room are seeing a white and gold dress. Raise your hand if you're seeing a white and gold dress. You see the problem. That's exactly right. Now, let me make this point. Let me make this point. Bring it in. Bring it in. Now, to me, this dress looks white and gold. But to my wife, Caitlin... This dress looks blue and black. And as much as I, I hate to admit it, because I kind of got some pride sometimes, I'm wrong and she's right. This dress is actually blue and black. But here's my problem that I can't, give, can't get over. And it, it could be your problem. You know, to me, even knowing that, this dress is in fact blue and black. I can't help it. I can look at it, stare at it all day. I will always see this dress being white and gold. Doesn't matter how hard I look. Doesn't matter how hard I try. It's always white and gold. And so you see, apparently, here's what's happening, right? The condition that this photograph was, was taken under causes many people, thanks to the lighting and other factors, it causes many people to perceive that this dress is white and gold, such as myself. But the problem for you, if that's you, is that your perception isn't actually reality because this dress, it doesn't matter what you see, it's not white and gold. This dress is black and blue. So when I look at this picture, and maybe it seems like when many of you look at this picture, the difficulty that we face is that there's more to what we're seeing than what we're actually seeing. There's more to this dress than what meets our eyes. Now that's true with this picture, but... Tonight we're going to see that's also true of many other things, particularly many spiritual things. Because the truth is, tonight you may be seeing the physical world around you and everything in it, and you might be perceiving a reality based on what you see that isn't actually ultimate reality. Tonight, we're going to look at the next two trumpets in Revelation, trumpets five and trumpet six. And that's exactly what you and I are going to be confronted with tonight. Because with these next two trumpets, there's more to what we're seeing right now here at Impact than what we can actually see, particularly when it comes to unbelievers. Now, it's no secret that all of us in this room, without exception, have unbelieving friends. We have unbelieving family members. Maybe it's a brother. Maybe it's a sister. Maybe it's a cousin. Maybe it's a teammate. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a teacher. We all have unbelieving friends and family member. Maybe you came here to Impact tonight, and you are that unbeliever. But tonight, we're going to pose this question 
What if there's more to that unbeliever than what you can see with your eyes? This is exactly what the Bible is going to show us tonight in our next two chapters of Revelation, chapters 9 and chapters 10. And that reality, and our main point tonight is this. There's more to unbelievers than just their unbelief. If you're an unbeliever here tonight, there is more to you than just your unbelief. If you have unbelieving friends and family here tonight, and you do, there is more to that unbeliever than just their unbelief. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've been prepping this for now two weeks because we got last week off. Could be the toughest sermon I will ever preach in my life. Because as we sit here at Impact tonight, the truth is this. Our unbelieving friends and our unbelieving family members are in desperate positions. Desperate positions. And whether you want to believe it or not tonight, we're going to see that there are invisible forces behind these friends, behind these unbelievers. There's a reality behind them that we don't often talk about because we cannot see, and it is terrifying. But there is good news, and that good news is that God's put you in their life so that you can boldly proclaim the gospel of freedom to them so that they can be set free from these invisible forces. Or if you're here tonight and you're that unbeliever, God has brought you here tonight. Why? Not to eat pizza, not to hang out with friends, but so that you're here in this room to hear the gospel and you can be set free tonight. Because there is more to these unbelievers than just their unbelief. So with your Bibles open to Revelation, we're actually going to read Revelation 10, 5, and 7, but we're covering chapters 9 and chapters 10 tonight. With your Bibles open, Revelation 10, verses 5 and 7, here's what the Word of God says. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there will be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Let's pray, and then we'll get into these two chapters. Heavenly Father, I pray that if there are unbelievers present tonight, and there are, Lord, that your spirit would cause them to be born again. They would see Christ for who he is. They would see what he has done, and they would run to him tonight in faith. Would you Gift them that faith tonight. And for our believers, including myself, God, would you take your word and pierce us tonight? Get us off our couches, get us off our chairs, get us off our phones, and get us out into the world to make disciples of our friends, of our family, and of the nations. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as you tell, tonight's going to be a difficult Message, maybe for all of us, but to start off, I think what we really need to do is go back to the last verse in chapter 8 of Revelation. Just to remind us, where are we and what in the world is going on? Because if you came here tonight, who was that angel we just read about? What are the trumpets that he's talking about? Well, Revelation 8.13 says this. John writes, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice. As it flew directly overhead, and that eagle says, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So, two weeks ago, if you were here, you know we studied the first four trumpets. In chapter 8. And we saw that in those first four trumpets, they're actually aspects of what we call the Great Tribulation, and they're specifically designed for the church. And the purpose of those trumpets are to purify the church and to refine the church so that we're ready when Christ comes back. 
But now in verse 13, the Bible tells us that there's three more additional trumpets, trumpets five, six, and seven. And these additional trumpets are said to be, quote, woes for those who dwell on the earth. Now, a woe, notice not W-H-O-A, like, whoa, bro, that was crazy, but a W-O-E, a woe is something that causes great sorrow, something that causes great distress. It's something not good. And so while the first four trumpets are tribulations for the church, but they're meant for our good, what the Bible's saying is that these next three trumpets, they're woes, not for the church, but for unbelievers. And they're not meant for their good, but they're meant to produce great sorrow and great distress in their life, leading to their ultimate destruction. And so that's what we're going to do. Tonight we're going to study the first two of these woes designed for unbelievers, which is the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet. And we'll allude to that third and final woe, which is the seventh trumpet. We'll we'll really cover it in more detail next week. Now just as a review to make sure we're on the same page, just like the seals early in Revelation and just like the first four trumpets in chapter 8, the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet are currently happening right now as we speak. The trumpets are blowing right now as we speak. They're not past events, they're not future events, they are past, future, and present events that are going on right now. They are blowing right now as we speak. So first, let's look at that fifth trumpet and the first woe for unbelievers. It's this, in the fifth trumpet, Unbelievers are tormented. This is the woe that comes with this fifth trumpet. Unbelievers, right now as we speak, with the sounding of this fifth trumpet, they are being tormented. That's you. If you're here tonight and you're an unbeliever, you are being tormented. That's them. That friend and that family member, if they're... If they're here tonight, if they're at home, or if they're doing what they do right now, they are being tormented. And the Bible is going to highlight this torment of unbelievers in two very significant ways. First, and there's just no way to sugarcoat this, the Bible is going to show us that unbelievers are in torment because their lives are miserable. Their lives are miserable. Now, I want you to know, I need you to know my heart. I thought long and hard, I always do about these sermons, how to word particular things and how to describe what the the Bible is about to describe. And I get it. Miserable sounds really, really harsh. But let's just read our text and you decide if that word is fitting or not. Listen to what's happening to unbelievers right now as they endure the fifth trumpet. Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke of the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of the scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. That's the Holy Spirit. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. Verse six, and in those days... People will seek death, and they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Now, there is so much happening in those six verses. We got a, we got a star falling from heaven, right? And he's given a key to the bottomless pit. And as he unlocks his bottomless pit, what happens? 
Smoke comes out, and from that smoke, a bunch of locusts. They come flying out of this bottomless pit. Hundreds and millions just flying out everywhere. Now, I know this might catch you by surprise, but these locusts are symbolically describing demons. That's what these locusts are. And if you don't believe me, look at verses 7 through 11 with me. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like a human face. Their hair like women's hair. Their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. Now this is the kicker, verse 11. These locusts have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. Fast forward to Revelation, towards the end, we're gonna meet that Satan is the angel of the bottomless pit, okay? His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. So the locusts, they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, that is Satan himself. And so we know that these locusts, who are they, what are they? They are demons, Because we know the king of the demons is Satan himself. And so we have these demons who come swarming out of this bottomless pit with this fifth trumpet. And what do they do next? Well, verse 4 says they cannot. Here's what they can't do. They cannot harm the grass, any green plant, or any tree. They can't do it. They can't harm it. However, they can harm all the people. Everyone who does not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Who are these things representing? What is this talking about? Well, in other words, what's happening in verse 4 is that these demons that come swarming out that are present all around us, they can't harm the church. They can't harm the church the church, which is described back in the first trumpet as what? As trees, as grass. Because the church, we have the seal of God on our foreheads. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So you can't be harmed by Satan or his demons. You can't be tormented We're going to see what it means to be tormented here soon. But these demons, they can harm who? The unbelievers. Because they do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They are not protected. And so immediately we get this terrifying picture, right? This bottomless pit, it's unlocked, and here comes the demons, and they're coming after our friends and our family members and maybe you. And so how are they allowed to harm these unbelievers? What does that mean? Well, according to verse 5, it means they can torment them. It means they can harass them. It means they're allowed to wreak havoc on their lives. They're allowed to make them miserable. But how do they actually do this? How does this actually play out? Like right now as we speak, how are demons tormenting unbelievers? How are they making their lives miserable? Well, they're tormenting them, I would argue, by trapping them, enslaving them to their sin. This is the ministry, so to speak, of the demons. And we're going to see that, that this trapping in sin, in sin is, is more explicit in the next trumpet. But this is essentially what demons do. This is how demons work. They tempt people. They trap people in their sin. This is their job. This is their goal. And through trapping people in their sin, this sin makes people's lives absolutely miserable. And this is exactly exactly what's happening right now as we speak. Unbelievers in this room and unbelievers out of this room are trapped in their sin. And the sin is making them miserable. 
In fact, verse five says that this torment or this misery, it feels like, quote, a scorpion's sting. Now I admit that I don't personally have any clue what it feels like to be stung by a scorpion. And I'll tell you, I don't ever plan to, to know what that feels like because that's, that's just not really something I'm volunteering to find out. Right? I don't want to get stung by a scorpion, but that's okay because do you know that there's actually people out there who are dumb enough to volunteer to get stung by scorpions so that you and I don't have to? Right? There's, there's actually an entire docu-series on the History Channel if you're a nerd like me and you'll watch that. It's called Kings of Pain. Kings of Pain. And let me just say, it's like so awesome. It's the coolest show ever. And it's also the, the stupidest show ever. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I just did. Essentially, you have these two guys, right? And they're really smart, but they're really dumb. And they volunteer to get bitten. They get stung by some of the most poisonous and the most dangerous animals and insects in the entire world. That's this, like this entire series, episode after episode, like what are they gonna get stung by next? And you're just hooked because... As a guy, that's awesome, but as a guy with a brain, you could probably pick a better profession, right? And so maybe you know where this is headed, but in one of these episodes, these two guys volunteer to get stung by a scorpion. It was actually an Arizona bark scorpion, one of the most dangerous scorpions in the entire world. And so this first guy goes and he gets stung, and immediately, like the moment the stinger penetrates his skin, he is just in unbelievably agonizing pain. Like it's obvious, like what did you expect? He immediately starts screaming. He starts saying words I cannot repeat, hear an impact. But then it's over. He, he calms down a little bit. He's like, another guy was like, man, like what did that feel like? How did it feel when you just got stung by that scorpion? And here's what he says. Try and, try and imagine what this feels like. He says this first guy. He says, it's like something has ripped my skin open and is now pulling my muscles up. It's agonizing. It's painful. And that's what the scorpion sting feels like to this first guy. But then the second guy goes, and now it's his turn to get stung by a new scorpion. And just like his buddy, same, re same result. Immediately, he's in this unbelievable amount of pain and misery. But his quote really catches my attention. After he gets stung, he says that the pain of the sting was, quote, worse than death. Worse than death. That's how he describes this scorpion sting. Now, just to be clear, because I know we have some people who think this sounds awesome, please do not try to get stung by a scorpion at any point in time. Just take their word for it, right? It hurts. It is painful. It even feels worse than death. Now, on a much more serious note, I want you to make this connection. When you wake up in the morning, and when you go to bed tonight, and as you go about your day, today, tomorrow, this week, this year, that's exactly what it feels like to be an unbeliever. That's what their torment feels like. It feels like a scorpion sting that never goes away. And here's the worst part. According to verse six, in those days, people will seek death and they will not find it. They will long to die and death will flee from them. Maybe the most intense verse in the entire Bible right there. So to some of us, maybe what the second guy said, like the scorpion sting feels worse than death. That sounded a little bit dramatic, but according to the Bible, maybe it's not that dramatic. Because what the Bible is saying here is that he's actually right. As demons trap unbelievers in their sin, as they torment them, these unbelievers long plead for death because it seems better suited, but death is going to flee from them. So the point is, these unbelievers can't escape the pain that their sin is causing them. They can't escape this torment no matter how hard they try. I mean, just think about it. As an unbeliever, how do you deal with all the things life throws your way? 
When trials come, when depression comes, when heartbreak comes, when disappointment, hopelessness, sorrows, when these things come your way, what do you do as an unbeliever? When relationships end, when friendships are severed, when home life is really bad, when school is hard, when sports fail you, when life around you is falling apart, as an unbeliever, what do you do? Well, the point of the fifth trumpet is you really can't do anything. Unbelievers can't handle any of these things life throws their way. Instead, they're in constant torment because instead of trusting in Christ, they continue, they're trapped in trusting in themselves and in their sin. They are trapped in their sin. And this sin is causing them nothing but torment and misery and they can't escape it. They're hurting, they're afraid, they're in sorrow and there's no way out. They're unsatisfied, they're without joy, they're without peace. They're miserable. And maybe you're saying, Chase, there's just no way that any of this is true. Because my best friend, my sibling, my cousin, my friend here at Impact, they're the happiest person you will ever meet. There's no way they're miserable. I know unbelievers who are the happiest people alive, we think, but I hate to say this, if you believe the Bible, you can't believe them. Don't believe it. They may seem happy. They may even think they're happy. But deep down, in the depths of their heart, in their soul, they are nothing else but torment. They are hurting and they are miserable. Because the sin that has promised them life has not delivered. They have an empty heart, an empty soul, and an empty life because that's all sin brings them. And my heart breaks, trust me, because I remember not that long ago what it was like to be an unbeliever and to give off this impression that Chase was okay. Chase was happy, Chase was fine, when in reality, there was nothing fine about my life. Deep down, nothing but hurt, nothing but pain. And through my hurting, the worst part, I was also hopeless. And so if you are an unbeliever or if you know an unbeliever, the truth is they feel the exact same way without exception. They're miserable. And if you think that's intense, and it is, buckle up because we're just getting started because this torment is gonna go far beyond their misery. Because that's bad. Unbelievers are in torment but that's just the fifth trumpet. There's still two more to come. Look with me at Revelation 9, 12. The first woe, this is just woe number one has passed. The second woe is still to come and the third woe is still to come. So the first woe is that unbelievers are tormented but there's two more to come. So next we have the sixth trumpet and that's the second woe which is this. Fifth trumpet, unbelievers are tormented. Sixth trumpet, Unbelievers are wicked and they're hardened. In the sixth trumpet, what we're going to see is that unbelievers are wicked and they're hardened. The Bible is going to highlight us here two significant ways that unbelievers are wicked and hardened. First, we're going to see that unbelievers, their hands are bloody. They have blood on their hands. More specifically, what we're going to see is that their hands are bloody with the blood of Christ and his church. Revelation 9, 13 and 16, 13 through 16. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Verse 16, the number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. 
So I don't want you to get lost. Here's the picture so far. The sixth trumpet blows, and at the blow of that trumpet, four angels are released to, quote, kill a third of mankind. But before we talk about that, notice something important. It's not the four angels who are actually going to do the killing. The four angels aren't going to kill a third of mankind. Instead, these four angels apparently are going to round up what the Bible calls mounted troops that are numbered twice 10,000 times 10,000, that's 200 million, and these four angels are going to use these mounted troops to be the ones who actually do the killing. They're going to kill a third of mankind. Now, you should be asking, who are these mounted troops? Because I want to stay away from them. Well, they could be demons. That is a thought, but I don't think so. I'd argue that these mounted troops, are you ready? You're not going to like it. They're unbelievers. Unbelievers are the mounted troops. And just like in the first four trumpets, that third of mankind, guess what? It's you and me again. It's the church again. And so what are these mounted troops doing to the third of mankind right now as we speak? Look with me in verses 17 through 19. This is the activity of the mounted troops. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. So not just horses anymore like we saw with the locusts, but now there's people riding these horses. They wore breastplates, the color of fire and sapphire and sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's head, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. Verse 18. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. And so these mounted troops, these unbelievers... Trapped in their sin under the influence of Satan, under the influence of demons, they go out and they kill a third of mankind, which represents the entirety of the church. So to me, the the picture of the sixth trumpet, it's this. Just to try and dumb it down for us because I need that. Here's what's happening in the sixth trumpet. Right now as we speak, unbelievers are being raised up by Satan himself like a powerful army, like mounted troops, to go into war with Christ and his church. Theoretically, symbolically, they are killing the church. Now, I don't think the word killing actually necessitates a literal Killing, because if you're an unbeliever here tonight, you've probably never killed someone at all, but particularly maybe in the church, and I hope that's true. But instead, the point of the killing here is that the church, the third of mankind, is being persecuted by these unbelievers. We are being mocked, we are being slandered, we are being made fun of, we are being picked on, we are being talked wrongly about. And some of our brothers, some of our sisters are in fact even being martyred by these unbelievers. So the picture is that these mounted troops, they are actively, unbelievers are actively going out against Christ and against his church. So if you are an unbeliever, or if you know an unbeliever, this is what they're doing, knowingly or not. Unbelievers, listen to me. Through your sin, through your unbelief that you think is harmless, that you're just pushing off until a later date, what you're actually doing is declaring war against Christ and his church. You are intentionally aligning yourself with Satan and his army, and you are actively going to war against Christ. I think a lot of times when it comes to Jesus, here's what we think. Anybody watching the NFL playoffs? Raise your hand if you're watching the NFL playoffs. Trying to catch a few games. At this point, can I be honest? I'm not for or against anybody. I'm not. I might make a team maybe a little bit more, win over another team, but rallies, I don't care who wins at this point. But you know what? That's how many of you treat Jesus. You're not for or you think against him. You're just kind of in the middle. You don't care who wins in the end. Maybe you'll join a team later. You think you're a spectator when in reality, you have the opposing jersey on and you don't even know it. 
You have chosen a side. You are actively against the side of Christ because you reject him time and time and time again. You're not a spectator. You're an enemy. And you are killing a third of mankind. Christ and his church. You have blood on your hands. Your sin, no no matter how small you think it is, to the Lord, it is like murder. And I, I get it. Some of you think your sin is just no big deal, but you better read the text and you better think again because by rejecting Jesus, you have chosen Satan. And in rejecting Christ, you are dining with the devil. So you're not just sinful, unbelievers, or if you know one, you are wicked beyond your wildest imaginations. But not only is there blood on your hands, here's the unbelievers' even bigger problem. Their hearts are hardened. Their hands are bloody and their hearts are hardened. So even though they are wicked beyond their wildest imaginations, have literally joined the side of Satan against Christ, They have blood on their hands. Even though all this is true, guess what? Their hearts could not care less right now. If you're an unbeliever in this room, I get this all the time. I'm kind of leaning back like this, like, dude, what is this guy talking about? I'd rather be asleep. That's because your heart is hardened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't get it twisted. That's why you reject Christ. It's not because of the preachers, not because of the church. It's not because you're distracted by a friend beside you. It's because your heart does not love Jesus. Your heart despises Jesus. You are so in love with your wickedness. Your heart is so hardened that you refuse to listen to the gospel, trust in Christ, and repent of your sins. That's the reality. So after killing a third of mankind... Verses 20 and 21 should absolutely grab your attention about the unbelievers around us. Verse 20 says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, that's the unbelievers. This should startle you. Did not repent of the work of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. Nor, verse 21, did they repent of their murders, or their sorceries, or their sexual morality, or their thefts. How serious is the condition of our unbelieving friends? How hardened has their hearts become? They may seem fine, they may act happy, they may look moral. They may appear right now to be the good person they want to appear as, but this is their true condition. They are worshiping demons. They are worshiping false gods. They are committing murder. They are committing sexual morality. They are thieves. They are full of sin. And yet, their hearts are so hardened that hearing this, Knowing this, in their own flesh, by their own will, they cannot repent. They can't. Because their hearts will not allow it. The reality is, unbelievers are slaves to their sin. They love it so much that they will never leave it at least not in their own will. So they don't just have bloody hands, but they have hardened hearts, unbelievably hardened hearts. Not only are they wicked, but beyond their wildest imaginations, but their hearts are so hardened that they could never leave the thing that is causing all their torment and all their misery. This is the sixth trumpet. It's the second woe, and it is plaguing the lives of unbelievers right now. They are wicked, and they are hardened But believe it or not, we still got one final woe coming to these people. And somehow, it gets even worse. You see, the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet, they are here right now. You can't hear them, but they're blowing. But one final trumpet has still yet to be blown. 
One final trumpet is coming soon. And it's the seventh trumpet. And if you think the fifth trumpet is bad, if you think the sixth trumpet is bad, if you're an unbeliever, or if you know an unbeliever, the seventh trumpet is as bad as it can possibly get. We're going to get to cover it in much more detail next week, but for tonight, we're not done because let me make the content of the seventh trumpet as simple as I can for tonight. You ready? Seventh trumpet, Christ is coming back. Seventh trumpet, Jesus Christ returns. We're going to fly through chapter 10. I'm just going to read it. Revelation 10, 1 through 7. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillar of fire. He had a little scroll open in his right hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from the heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and don't write it. Focus on verse five. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and earth and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it. Are you ready? That there would be no more delay but that in the days of the trumpet call of the seventh angel, the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. Just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. What is that mystery? What is this day where there is no more delay? Well, one day soon, God promises that Jesus is coming back. We're gonna see this in detail next week, but what is gonna happen for tonight? What is gonna happen when that seventh trumpet sounds? Well, first, the church, that's many of us in this room, we will be saved once and for all. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, our King is returning to save us. All sorrows, all tribulation, gone forever, we're saved. We'll talk about it much more next week, but for tonight, I want us to focus on this. There is another side to that seventh trumpet, and it's a woe, the final woe for unbelievers. On that day, at the sound of the seventh trumpet, these unbelievers will be destroyed once and for all. The church will be saved but our unbelieving friends and our unbelieving family will be destroyed in a lake of sulfur and acid for all of eternity. On that day, the wrath of God will finally and will completely fall upon every single unbeliever without exception who in their wickedness chose to reject Jesus Christ here right now. On that day, they're gonna pay for their sin. They're gonna pay for their murder. They're gonna pay for their worshiping of demons. And they'll finally stand toe-to-toe, face-to-face with the God of the universe that they have foolishly chosen to reject. So let me talk to the believers. How does that make you feel? Be honest with yourself and with God right now. The fact that the seventh trumpet's coming, you will be saved. Your unbelieving friends will perish forever. How does that make you feel? Well, I can speak for myself. It makes me feel a couple of different ways. First, there's a part of me that rejoices that a day's coming when my king returns and I will be saved. But also, there's a part of me that wants to weep uncontrollably. Because on that day when my king returns, I will be happy, but I know I will have friends and I will have family who will not endure what I will endure in the seconds to come, but will be thrown into an eternal hell forever and ever and ever. I have mixed feelings. I'm going to be honest with you guys, but that's okay. You want to know why? Because the Bible is going to explain these mixed feelings in verses 8 through 11. This is what we're feeling 
if you're a believer like me. Verse 8, Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the scene on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take, eat it. Watch this. It will make your stomach bitter. But in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. So John says, I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel. I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. It tasted good. It was great. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. You see, this scroll, it represents God's plan for the end of times. It represents the seventh trumpet, and it is sweet as honey in our mouths. It tastes good. I want it. I long for it. I can't wait for it. And yet, that same scroll, it's sweet as honey in my mouth, but it's bitter in my stomach. Why? Because while we will be saved, some of the people closest to us, maybe our family, our friends, our teammates, our classmates, maybe the person sitting next to you, maybe the person in your small group, they won't be saved. Instead, as unbelievers, they're going to be destroyed and their present torment leads to their eternal torment. So while this scroll The reality of the seventh trumpet, it's sweet as honey in my mouth. It is bitter in my stomach. I rejoice and I weep simultaneously. So as a believer, what do I do? As a believer, what do you do? How do we respond to this text? I'll give you very two simple and quick ways. First, praise God for your salvation. Hear me, believers. Praise God right now that you are saved. You're not being tormented. Your heart is no longer hardened. It was. But Christ has came into your life. He has changed your heart. He has given you affection for the Lord, and he has saved you. You did nothing. God did everything. The reason you are saved is because God took the key to your chains and he unlocked it. You didn't touch the key. Christ did it all. Praise God that he loves you enough, that he is merciful enough to save you from your wickedness. Praise God. But don't stop there. Second, if you're a believer in this room, there is a huge need right in front of you, right beside you for some of you. We must evangelize, which means share the gospel with great urgency. Listen to me. If the Bible is true, and it is, and if unbelievers are in the condition it says they're in, and they are, then let me just ask you this, believers. Is there anything, and I mean anything at all, more important than you going home tonight and sharing the gospel with that family member? Like anything at all. Is Xbox more important? No. Is sleep more important? No. Is food more important? No. Is anything you can think of in your mind more important than sharing the gospel with that family member? No. Tomorrow at school. What is the most important thing you could do when you walk into that school tomorrow? I will tell you. It is not go greet your friends. It is not go get breakfast. It is not go to the bathroom. The most important thing you will do at school tomorrow is walk up to someone and share the good news of Jesus Christ, period. There's nothing more important that you could give your life to than this mission. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What more would you want to give your life to than this? Sports are fun. Sports are meant for you to serve Christ. God has given you skills and abilities and interests so that you can use those to be a light to the kingdom, to the people around you, period. You are here on earth to spread the good news, period. If unbelievers are in the condition they're in, What are we 
waiting on. And that's why I want to show you, remind some of you of our goal for 2024. If you're in this room, this is our collective goal. Last year it was lead 50 people to Christ. We got to 40. And I'm so happy, I'm so thankful God has saved 40 people, but we didn't even touch our potential. Because those 40 people generally were after Wednesday night sermons. But the goal this year is our goal is to see five, five students come to Christ at every single one of your schools. And you can see them listed at the bottom. CCA, Callaway County High School, Callaway County Middle School, Graves County High School, Marshall County High School, Murray High School, Murray Middle School, New Covenant, North Marshall, South Marshall. Every single one of these schools, here's our goal. Five people come to Christ because of you. And we're going to see, we're going to keep track of these of these numbers, not to be legalistic, but to encourage us and to actually reach this goal. Audrey has made graphics for every single school and you can see when someone comes to Christ, tell us so that we can fill in the first bubble. So we would know one person came to Christ at North Marshall Middle School and when we get to five, guess what? We are gonna throw the craziest party ever because that means five people at your school are no longer in bondage to to sin and Satan, but are now delivered into the domain of Jesus Christ. What more for the rest of this year would you want to give your life to than this goal? So to end, what we're going to do is sing one final song. I'm going to invite the band up because there's two ways to respond. First, please hear me. If you're an unbeliever, don't worry about the goal. You are the goal. We want you tonight to see that you're in desperate need of the gospel. Your sin is leading you to a path of eternal destruction, but Christ has paid the ultimate, cro- the ultimate price for you. He has died on the cross for your sin in your place, and through him and only through him you can be saved. If that is you tonight, what are you waiting on? Why are you joining Satan's army? Would you join the Lord's army tonight? And trust in Jesus. If that's you, unbelievers, we're going to have just a couple of leaders in the back and you go to them and you let it known you are ready to trust in Christ. But for us believers, where does that lead us? It leads us to do this. We are going to stand with our arms high and our voices loud, signaling to God and to everyone in this room that we're sold out for one thing and one thing only. Not for a championship, not for good grades, not for popularity. We're sold out for the mission. We're sold out for the goal. We're gonna go to our school, we're gonna go to our homes and we're gonna make disciples because that's the thing that is worthy of our time and our efforts. If that's you, if you're sold out, I want you to sing loud and proud, hands held high if you would like because there's nothing more important than this mission. Let's pray. Heavenly God, we praise you and we thank you for the gospel. 